Hello. Good morning. Yes, it is morning. Sorry, I get confused because where we are, we meet at 11 o'clock, so normally when I stand up to speak, it's the afternoon. Um, so there's a very holy glow in this, in this room, actually, when the sun shines. The sun shines on the righteous, they say. So if the sun's shining on you, which is pretty much everyone in this room. Um, it's great to be with you. Um, I've got kind of a really ridiculous and annoying cough. So if I, who, who remembers Theresa May at the Conservative Party conference last year? She kind of got through the whole thing by coughing. The only difference is I'm hoping you're not going to call for my resignation <laughs> once I've finished this morning. So um, it is a real privilege to be here just being with you guys this morning in the prayer meeting, just seeing a hunger for God. Um, just, I know it's not about numbers, but just seeing 17, 18 people gathered together to pray before a morning meeting, for me, is a real encouragement and a real kind of sense of there's a hunger here to seek after God and to seek after the things of God. So I just want to encourage you in that. Keep going after God. I know <clears throat> Mark's just been sharing numbers of encouraging things with us over the weekend. So it's a real privilege to, to be here and, and to be with you. But um, just, just in the worship, I just felt like God just laid a couple of things on my heart. And just that last song that Hannah just led us into around the, the sense of the Spirit of God here, I just really felt like a tangible sense of the presence of God. And just before we start, I'd just love to invite you just to, um, we, we're not about information, are we? We're about transformation of our lives. We're not just about transferring one information from one person to another. It's about God coming and meeting with our hearts and changing us from one degree of glory to another to be more like Jesus, his son. So can I just invite you just to close your eyes if you're comfortable, just to hold out your hands. I just want to pray the Spirit of God upon this place this morning and upon you individually. The church is the people. It's every man and woman that's represented here and meeting in other places of this island this morning. But I just want to pray this morning, God, right now we just invite you, Holy Spirit. Just breathe upon every person that's sat here. Breathe upon the children that are meeting next door, Lord. Lord, we pray just right now, come Holy Spirit, just breathe the fire of God upon every man and woman here, the breath of God. Just put fire in the hearts of men and women to bring about dreams that have gone dormant or gifts that are currently locked up. We pray a releasing upon them in this place upon dreams that you said maybe this will never happen here. I pray that God would start to un. There'd be an unearthing of them. There'd be, a, there'd be, a, there'd be a, a freshness about them as God's spirit comes upon you as his people. So we just say, invite you, Holy Spirit, right now. Come and breathe upon us. Come and breathe upon every person here that they may f- be full to the measure. I pray, even if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you would know the presence of God with you and that would cause your heart to want to respond to him this morning. And to say, Jesus, I, I want to pursue you and I want to follow you. I want to change my life about. And just in the context of just inviting the Holy Spirit, there's just two things I felt in the worship. One was just to pray for, just to pray for healing if you're sick in your body. Um, I'd just love to pray for you um, just this morning. It just felt like a faith to pray for healing just in people's bodies. We recognize that we live this side of eternity. And so we, we recognize that sickness is a part of this world, but we also recognize that Jesus came ushering in the kingdom of heaven. And he says part of that is that we just see the sick healed and the blind released and the captive set free. And so if there's sickness in your body this morning, maybe you could just, if it's appropriate, just put a hand on wherever it is that's sick in your body um, and just want to pray for you just, just for a few moments. And also just, I just had this picture in the worship of like an arrow going through an apple. You know when it pierces through the apple, and I just, 
I just felt like there would be, there's ones or twos here that feel like they've got an arrow in their heart, and it's like a wound, it's like a bruising. Maybe it's something that someone's said over you, maybe it's, a, um, maybe it's a, a, an event in life, but you would describe yourself as having like an arrow through your heart. It's like, a, it's like something's pierced you. And I, I just want to pray for you as well, if that's you're happy to pray for you at the end or whatever, but... But just in this place, I want to pray for those two things. Lord, I want to lift up those who are physically ill this morning before you over heads and backs and ligaments and joints. Lord, we pray the healing power of God. We thank you that you've given us authority over sickness. Lord, we don't understand all things. Lord, we recognize that sickness is a part of this world. But we also know that you commanded us to heal the sick. And so we pray this morning for those who are sick. We say, be healed in the name of Jesus. We take authority over illness in your name and we say be healed. Sickness be gone out of bodies, we pray. And I pray, Lord, if there are those here who feel like there's a dagger or an arrow in their heart that's pierced them, Lord, I want to pray, would you bring healing to them this morning? Lord, you're the master physician. Lord, you do just come and tear out the arrow, Lord. You come and, and tenderly, you come and tenderly unpick it like a master surgeon to bring healing and life. And I pray if there are those here that feel like they've got an arrow through their heart, like a wound that's pierced so deep, I pray this morning, would there be healing? Would there be freedom? Would there be life? Lord, I ask, Lord, in your mighty name, Lord, for that, Lord, we pray. Lord, for your glory and for our joy. For your glory and for our joy, Lord. Thank you that you're so interested in our lives. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would like to be prayed for at the end, please just find someone that you know and trust or come and grab one of us. We'd love to pray um, for you. Um, just would like to share a little bit about what Mark was just saying about our journey over the kind of past year since we've, um, Sarah and I, we've had the privilege of um, being sent from um, Gateway Church in Swindon, which meets in kind of West Swindon. If you, you, I don't know how much of you know your geography of Swindon. I haven't got a map. We've been sent over the other side of town to kind of establish a new congregation, a new site over the other part of town um, about a year ago. We sent about 80 or 90 adults with us who, who came and said, hey, we're on this mission with you. And it's just been a wonderful privilege to step out into the purposes of God and to see his hand of blessing as we've done that. We felt like God had called us to be a multiplying people, that was what we were to do. We were to break out. We were to advance. We've, we believe that God put in the DNA of Gateway really a heart to multiply across the town and to see expressions of his kingdom through Gateway in different parts of the town. And so we've just had this wonderful privilege of, over the past year of just seeing an, a church, kind of a church plant or a church site. We, we call it a, a multi-site, really, of just seeing that, this sense of wonderful momentum and vibrancy amongst us. And the, I know that you know, we, we're in different locations, but actually we're part of the same story. We're part of the kingdom of God advancing, and we're part of actually multiplication and expansion as God's kingdom comes and as he sees men and women's lives transformed. And it's just been a wonderful sense of love and community as we've gone out and multiplied. We're seeing new people almost every week. We're seeing people that are new to faith come through the door, as well as people that aren't really connected into church. And so it's just been a, an exciting sense of stepping out into the purposes of God, both for us personally, but also as a church family as well. We're a very diverse community. Probably in the East, we're about 50% represented from other nations. Um, predominantly, we have a, a very large uh, gathering of Nepalese amongst us, which is just so wonderful. We believe that God put that in the DNA of Gateway Church. In 2007, somebody brought a prophetic word when there was one couple from another nation. He said this, I believe that you're going to see multicolored 
multiracial church working together in a brilliant, wonderful sense for the purposes of God. And you have this wonderful promise over you as a church. And ten years on, we are seeing a, a flourishing, multiracial, multicultural church established. By God's grace, we're working this out, trying to build church across many cultures and many nations. It's challenging. It brings its, own, its own, own things with it. But praise God that he is bringing one new man in Christ uh, through us. And one of the things that God's really done with us as a church over the past 12 months is he's, he's really refocused us on our purpose, that we're, we exist to seek the blessing of the place that we live. We exist to seek the blessing of those who don't yet know Jesus. And so far from just existing as a church community, we, we exist to go and be sent throughout the city where we live, throughout the town where we live, to usher in the kingdom of God in the schools, in the workplaces, in our neighborhoods. So we feel like God's got us on this journey of saying we're not just about the gathered. We want to, when we gather, the presence of God to come. We want to be a family together, but we're actually a sent people. We're people that are ushering in the kingdom of God wherever we go. Wherever you work, wherever you live, you are a kingdom bringer. You're a shaper of the place that you live and that you work. And that feels like the journey that God has got us on as a church of actually refocusing us and saying, actually, we exist for those who are far off. We exist to bring the blessing of God. Jeremiah says, seek the blessing of the place where you live, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. So as the city is blessed and transformed, we believe that the kingdom of God comes and we believe that many lives are transformed. We just believe that God's got us um, on that journey um, as a church, really. Anyway, back to today, really. Um, so today, um, Mark gave me quite a blank canvas. He said, you're kind of in this time of really being led by the Spirit and kind of what does life in the Spirit look like. Um, and really, the topic I just want to bring to you this morning, if you want a topic for notes or anything, is joyful obedience. That's what I feel like God just put before me as we, as we spoke, as Mark and I spoke. We're going to be basing ourselves in John chapter 14, verse 15 to 24. So the plan really is we're going to read the passage just going to share a little bit about us and a bit about our story of, as we've learned to step out in obedience with God. And then we're going to dig into some of the key parts of this passage. But, but really, why this topic? Well, one, when I got off the phone to Mark the other day, I just felt like God dropped this phrase into my mind, joyful obedience. And so when God says, speak on obedience, you better obey, really. <laughs> Otherwise, you're doing something wrong. But secondly, I also, Mark shared with me um, a little while ago the prophetic word that Rodney Hager bought back in October 2017 about the... The, the, the next decade of, gateway, of um, Apex, excuse me, about it being a healthy church, a substantial church, and a fruitful church. And he says you're about to enter a new decade of fruitfulness as you enter your 10th year. But he says, but the reason the lemon tree was healthy, substantial, and fruitful was all down to the fact that it was gl- growing very close to the wall. And Rodney went on to say, and so you will be with these things if you grow very close to Jesus, stick very close to him, don't stray from him, because it is in his shelter you'll be fruitful, drawing upon his life. And he talked about John 15, verse 1 to 17. And I just felt for you as a people that a healthy church, a substantial church, a fruitful church comes out of a people who are passionate about Jesus and who are in love with him and who are obeying his commandments, who are saying, hey, I lay down my agenda for you, God. And actually, as you do that, as individuals, as a church community, health comes, substance comes, fruit comes. Because Jesus said, didn't he, in John 15, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. So keeping in step with Jesus' ways and commandments are what abiding looks like 
and fruitfulness comes. And so I just felt like where you are at as a church, actually what God wants to do is there's something about personal, this is a personal thing really today, for you, how are you doing it, stepping out in obedience to what God is speaking to you about? How are you growing in holiness and love for Jesus? Actually, what that equates to is a kind of community that, that, that Rodney was talking about when he brought that prophetic word in um, October last year. So let's just read uh, John, 15, uh, John 14, verse 25, uh, verse 15 to 24. It's just going to come up on the screen, hopefully. I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas said, But Lord, why do you intend to show us to yourself and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. I recognize that the word obedience is not a massively popular or positive word in culture these days. You tend to find two misconceptions around the subject of obedience. One, you may associate obedience with heaviness and legalism and control and about following a set of moral principles. And that's a very, that's a very dangerous place to be because you follow out of a sense of, I have to do something to get worth and value from God. Or I have to obey him like it's some drudgery and it's like it's joyless and lifeless. I don't think that's the biblical, world, biblical view of what obedience looks like. But the other danger of a word like obedience, particularly for those growing up in a younger generation, which is really asking the question of what is truth? Is there such a thing as absolute truth? In a, in a postmodern culture, our young people of today are going, there is no such thing as an absolute truth. Therefore, when they read God's words, it's like, well, we can take them with a pinch of salt. We can maybe take them how we want to. And there's a very much a growing culture amongst that of kind of, a, we'll do what's right in our own eyes as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And so when it comes to something like obedience, when it comes to saying, what does God have to say about this? The, the generation that's coming up is playing fast and loose with God's truth because it's kind of like there's a sense of wrestling with kind of obedience and wrestling with what is truth and things like that. But neither of these really line up to what God spoke about when he meant about obedience. See, obedience, there is a truth which God has revealed through, these, through his words in the Bible and through his son, Jesus Christ. But there is liberty and life and abundance that comes by pursuing Jesus and following in his ways. It's not mindless, joyless, drudgery through life. As we, Jesus isn't out to kill our joy. Actually, Jesus says in John 15, I have come that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We'll look at that a bit later. So biblical obedience is this process by which we become more and more like Jesus through surrendering of ourselves and aligning our whole persons and our whole mind and our whole body to him through the power of the Spirit. 
in response to the totally undeserved grace of God. In response to the totally undeserved grace of God. And I think for us, our journey over the past 10 years, particularly since we've been in Swindon, when God really arrested my heart, I came off the back of a messy church situation, off the back of a university life, which wasn't really honoring to God um, in any way, shape or form. And God really arrested me and he arrested Sarah as well at the age of about 22, 23 when we moved to Swindon. But I know he didn't do it just so that I'd be a churchgoer. I knew he'd do it so that I would be someone who would, who would fulfill the plans and the purposes that he had for me, that I would be the one who would lay down my life for what he asks of me. And I guess my story and our story is, these last 10 years, it's been bit by bit learning to say to Jesus, there's nothing off limits here. No area of life is off limits to you. We want to be those who learn and are still learning to say, we want to take a step by step of obedience and walking in your plans and your purposes. And for us, it's impacted how we invest our time, how we invest our finances, how we viewed our careers, how it shaped the place that we live. just want to give you a couple of examples of that. For us, learning to let God shape our lives has meant we've both given up the jobs that we have. Sarah, when we had our children, she really felt like God said, this was a moment just to be at home with the children. This isn't a plug for being a full-time mum. Sarah would say to you, it's hard work. Is exhausting, but for us, it was a sense of we knew that was what God had asked us to do. And for me, about a year and a half ago, I knew that God was asking me to give up my job to go work for the church. And this is not a plug for full-time ministry either. Don't do it unless God calls you to do it. But it's a sense of actually we, we knew that God was speaking to us, and it was his plan for us in this moment of life. And so when God speaks, it's time to follow. For us, it's meant sacrificing finances. We are on a journey of learning to say, hey, God, our money is not our own. Our money is actually yours. And we're to be stewards of it, and we're just to give, give it over to you as, as generously as we can and as sacrificially as we can. For us, it's affected where we live. I don't know if any of you have been to Swindon, but it was not the place that I imagined ending up when I graduated from university. I had two job offers. Both were in Swindon. God had his pinpointed me to that place, even though at the time I didn't necessarily want to move there. And for the first two or three years, my goal was, how quickly can I get out of this place? That was my general aim. Like, when can we leave? And there were many times when we nearly left. But actually, we felt like over time that God had put us in Swindon to build and to to do our part in his kingdom. We knew that. And actually, therefore, it meant putting down roots and saying, this is the place that God has called us to be. And there were some very specific prophetic words that came. And the point isn't really about us or the decisions we've made. The point is that what we are learning to do is to say, God, you're first and you're foremost. You see, a life surrendered to Christ means that he gets to shape what you do with your time, with your money, with your family, with your workplace, where you live, what you give yourselves to, your priorities. A life with God at the center means, God, you're in charge here. And that grates against modern culture. We're giving ourselves over to someone else to say, hey, God, my life is in your hands. I'm willingly surrendering it to you. Use me how you will. So let's just head back to John 14. There's really... Um, four things that I want to draw out of this passage um, this morning, um, if we get that far, we'll see how we do. The first two are really linked around our identity and who we are in Christ. And the second two are the result or what happens as we learn to radically obey, um, obey God and all that he's called us to do. I wonder if the scripture could just come back up, the bits of it will pick out over the, over the time together. So the first one is this. 
Biblical obedience is driven from our adoption into God's household rather than to earn it. Biblical obedience is driven from our adoption into God's household rather than to earn it. Do you see in verse 20, Jesus says, I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. It's incredible. God who made the heavens and the earth, Jesus, the sinless saviour, says, you're in me and I'm in you. There's a wonderful intimacy and security that comes from understanding that five times in this passage, Jesus refers to his father. And what Jesus is doing as he's walking through life is he's modelling to us what life in the kingdom looks like. He's modelling to us what sonship looks like. And his sonship comes entirely out of a complete understanding and security of his relationship to his father. And do you know what we get to call God? We get to call him our father. Jesus is modelling to us the kind of relationship that he wants us to have with our heavenly father. That's completely secure and understanding. Actually, his grace and his mercy is for us. That we come to him as sons and daughters, fully adopted into his household. Fully adopted, Ephesians 1 talks about, that we've been adopted into the household of God. And you see, what drives obedience that is healthy and brings life is that it comes out of an understanding of your adoption into the family of God. Because the rest of the Christian life flows from a sense of identity and who we are. And if we understand our relationship to God as sons and daughters, not as slaves, not as orphans, if we understand our relationship to him as sons and daughters of the living God, it will drive the kind of obedience that brings life and freedom and liberty to you. And I just want to ask you this question in all honesty. If you were to get right back into the depths of your soul, what drives your obedience to God? How do you understand your relationship to your father? Deeply, if you've got really gut-wrenchingly honest with yourself, how do you understand that relationship? Do you understand that your obedience is driven from a place of freedom? Or do you understand obedience is to try and earn the favor of God? Or trying to earn his acceptance? You see, I know many Christians whose lives are lived to try and earn the acceptance of God. But Jesus doesn't say, try to live like this, and then God will be your father. He says, no, God is your father, and therefore you can live like this. You see, when we understand our position in the household of God, it means we obey him out of a place of value rather than trying to earn value. And it's radically different. When I was at university... And I wasn't pursuing God, but every time I'd go to church, I would just feel guilty. Just guilty, like God was like condemning me. And the journey that God has taken me on person is to understand that I come to him under his grace and his mercy, totally unmerited, totally undeserved. Yes, I still fall short. Yes, I still sin. But I know that I'm trying to now pursue God out of this wonderful place of freedom and as a son in his household, rather than saying, somehow he's going to strike me down. Many Christians live in fear of God. He's going to strike them down if they do things wrong. God is a loving father. He's not a boss. He's a loving father. And when you try and obey God to earn his favor or his love, it always brings condemnation or guilt. But when you understand your position then your obedience is so 
freeing. And if you're here this morning and you would say, do you know what, my Christian life is built around trying to obey a God I'm scared of, or a God I have to try and earn brownie points off, then God wants to say, no, he wants to come bring freedom this morning, and he wants to help you understand that you're a son or that you're a daughter if you're in the household of God. And this is such a key battleground for Christians because what we do flows from who we are. So the enemy has a field day in this area. The enemy has an absolute field day in this area, making us doubt who we are. If, he gets us, if the enemy gets us to doubt who we are, it affects everything about what we do and, who, and, and what life flows, looks like and how life flows from there. So this is a key battleground. This is why God has put us together as family. That we get to stand together and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area right now. I'm I'm having to fight against the lies of the enemy. We get to stand together as God's people and say, hey, we're together in this. We're going to fight the good fight of faith together. That's one of the beautiful things about being part of the family of God is that we get to stand together. There's no shame in going, hey, do you know what? Right now I feel quite beat up. And someone else comes alongside you and says, hey, let me just bless you in the name of Jesus and ask for God's spirit and God's power upon you. And that's a very wonderful place to be as a family of God's people. I just want to say this and then we'll move on. You are not a slave in God's kingdom. You are not an orphan. God has made you an heir to his kingdom. You have been given full legal standing. You have been adopted. You are secure. You are accepted in his household. And when you understand that, it drives the right kind of obedience that Jesus was talking about. So that's the first one. The second one is this, that biblical obedience is an outworking of our love for Christ. What do I mean by that? Four times in this passage, Jesus tells us that obedience is the result of our love for him. You see in verse 15, you see it in verse 21, 23, and 24, Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. What Jesus is making, he's, like a, he's making a cause and effect link. Love is the cause and the effect is obedience and the keeping of his commandments. If you love me, that's the cause. The result will be that you'll obey me. It's like the two are like intrinsically linked. There's like a synergy that happens. That As we love Jesus, that's the cause. The result is we will grow in Christ-likeness. We will grow in obedience to him. It's like the two are just so naturally linked that Jesus brings them together. He doesn't separate them because obedience is the fruit that comes from loving Jesus. Obedience is the fruit that comes when we fall in love with Jesus. Because the love that Jesus had for his father was expressed in obedience unto the point of death. So our love for Jesus is expressed through obedience. So the call here isn't Try and obey. The call is fall more in love with Jesus. There's a, a, an old uh, one of the former elders of, of, of Gateway, where I think it was Andrew Leakey who founded the church, said, "You don't overcome sin by trying to overcome sin. You overcome sin by loving Jesus more." We fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's who we turn our gaze to. We must be very careful here that we don't equate obedience to salvation. Because obedience is not the thing that makes us right before God. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. But the faith 
that Jesus talks about and the faith that he imagines in Scripture always results in a changed life through the power of the Holy Spirit. It always results because the two are so intrinsically linked. James says, doesn't he, show you my faith and I'll show you my works because faith without works is dead. So faith and obedience are linked together in the kingdom of God. Love for Christ and obedience are linked together. But we must get them the right way around. Otherwise, we go, obedience means we love. No, because we love, we therefore obey. Because Jesus is our master, because he's our friend, because we we want to glorify him and we we want to make much of him in our lives, therefore, we obey as an outworking of our love. I just want to say this in love, but if your faith in Jesus ultimately leaves you unchanged, that is not saving faith. That is not the kind of faith that Jesus was talking about in Scripture. We're not talking about perfection. Man, I sin every single day. Just be real. But it's talking about a new direction, new thoughts, new attitudes, new behavior, new life. And this isn't instant Guys, this is a lifetime. Eugene Peterson wrote this great book many years ago. He re-released it recently called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's Christian discipleship. It's a long obedience in the same direction of saying, Jesus, this is where I'm heading. I'm following you all of my life. and I'm going to obey you day in, day out, day in, day out until you call me home or until he returns. And it's an outworking of the love that we have for him. So I just want to, I want to make sure that's the right way round. That it's an outworking of our love for him. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. The link there is so tight and so strong that Jesus talks about. The third one is this. Biblical obedience brings joy. Biblical obedience brings joy in life. I can honestly say, brothers and sisters, that the last five or ten years of my life have been the most joyful because I'm trying to walk day in, day out with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Genuinely, I mean that. Because what could be more joyful than a life with Christ who knew the deepest joy because he and the Father were one? What could bring more joy in life than a life spent in union and intimacy with your Father who knows you, who loves you, and who knows what you need? What could bring you more joy than walking in his ways, which the Bible says are good and pleasing and perfect? If you want to know where joy comes from, it comes from pursuing him and learning to walk in his ways. Christ doesn't ask us to obey him as some means of punishment, or as some means of killing life, but actually as a means to bring glory to himself, to show an unbelieving world that Jesus really is real, and for our joy. And for our joy. You see, many Christians equate Christian obedience with dull, boring, joyless lives. But when obedience comes out of the place we talked about today, with the right understanding and the right motivation, it brings freedom and joy, not a sense of oppression. 1 John 5.3 says, His commandments are not burdensome, i.e. they're not heavy. They don't bring oppression. They bring life and liberty. And this isn't an invitation to an easy life. Obedience 
is the tougher path to follow sometimes. It's easier to lie in bed on a Sunday morning than it is to come to church. It's easier to fudge sometimes the truth than it is to really face up to that. We're learning that often with our kids now. They, they try and get away with these lies because they think it's easier to fudge the truth, but they're just not very good at it, quite frankly, and they always get found out. Oh, but so-and-so told me to do it. They're not even here. Oh, okay. Anyway, they, there's a sense... It's not easy often to follow the path of God. It's easier to spend your money on yourself than it is to be generous. It's easy to gather than to give because of the condition of the human heart. But as we learn to obey him, as we learn to follow him of what our good father asks of us, we find that true joy comes. I read this scripture earlier, but in John 15, Jesus is wrapping up this whole section from John 14 and John 15, and he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, the joy of heaven, may be in you. Christian here this morning, Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you so that the joy of heaven may be in you, and that your joy may be full, complete, overwhelming, overflowing, abundant, full to the top, So he says, the joy of heaven is upon you. And he says, I want your joy to be full or complete as you learn to pursue him and love him and obey him. He says, says, I've spoken these things that your joy may be full. Isn't that wonderful? That actually he comes and he, he brings joy. And joy isn't the absence of hardship. Joy isn't the absence of suffering. There may be many of you who are in this room who are facing circumstances which are deeply troubling or bringing much sorrow or pain. But Jesus, this is the kind of joy that can't be robbed from you. Because it's the kind of joy that comes from being connected to the vine, that being connected to the branch, connected to the source of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to, many of you may have obeyed for many years out of a sense of drudgery or joylessness. And I feel like God just wants to release joy into you. That's you this morning. He wants to say, hey, Christian, brother, sister in the Lord, he says, I want you to obey out of a place and understand that it will result in joy in your life from a place of freedom, from a place of love, from a place of acceptance that will bring joy in your life, that the joy of heaven may be in you and that your joy may be overflowing, complete, bubbling over. What a wonderful expression is bubbling over of God, the joy of the Lord. And the last one is just this, which I want to be cautious about because I don't want to misunderstand, but biblical obedience actually brings greater intimacy with God. Three times in this, ver- in this passage, Jesus says, when you love me, you'll obey me. He follows it with a promise about intimacy with the Father. So verse 23 says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And he goes on to say, we will come to them and make our home with them. I just want to be clear, this is not a reference to salvation. This is not how somehow I've sinned this morning, therefore Jesus is scarpering out my house and running away from me. This isn't something, he's not kind of like waiting for you to do the first wrong thing and to say, right, that's it, I'm done with you guys. I'll go find someone else who's going to be more obedient. Otherwise, we get into works based obedience. His presence doesn't just leave us because, oh, I had, a, I had a wrong thought this morning, therefore his presence goes away from us. But I think the pattern of the Bible is that as we learn to walk in obedience with God, we get a greater intimacy with him. There's a greater sense of the presence of God amongst us and with us. 
James tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So actually, as we walk in the path of obedience, not to try and earn his favor, not because we're scared he might leave us because we've done something wrong, but actually there's an intimacy with your father that will come. A depth to your relationship with with God that will come through the power of the Holy Spirit. John Wimber, in a chapter of one of his books, says this, obedience deepens our intimacy with Jesus. And I believe that. I feel, I feel like for me personally, I'm learning that, that as I've, I'm learning to step out in obedience to him, I know a greater intimacy with Jesus through the power of the Spirit. I know this wonderful sense of the presence of God. And, and, and I, it's not, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but there's a wonderful intimacy that will come as we learn to walk in obedience with him and for him. So just those four things, really. I just felt like I wanted to lay before you Guys, I believe that that prophetic word really gripped me when Mark read it to me and Mark gave it to me. God wants to make this church healthy, substantial, and fruitful. I believe that. And this morning really is a call to each of you to pursue a life of radical obedience to him. Not to earn your salvation or to earn his approval, but as an outworking of love for him and from your position as sons and daughters. Knowing that as you pursue him, As you pursue a life of radical obedience, it will bring joy into this place and freedom and life and intimacy with your Father. There's just two things I'd love just to wrap up as we just pray, really. Maybe you could just, if you could just stand, if you're comfortable, please don't feel under any obligation to. God wants to deal with our hearts, ultimately. It doesn't matter whether we stand, sit, lie, or kneel. Father God. There's just two things particularly I'd love us just to respond in prayer for, if, which is one around this sense of identity and what motivates and drives your relationship to God. And the second thing is, if there are areas of your life that you know that you've shut off from God, you say, God, I'm, you're not going there. My career, you're not going there. Where I live, you're not going there. My finances, you ain't going there, God. I want to pray that, that God would do something in you today. Through his spirit, not under condemnation, not under guilt, but because of the freedom that he's given you and because he wants your heart and for his glory and for your joy. I want to pray if there are areas of your life that you're, you've written off from God and say, you are not going there, God. I want to pray that the presence of God might just come and open that door right now. Kind of like a metaphorically, physically, spiritually, but no, he stands at the door and knocks. And I want to pray that if there are areas of your life that you know you've cut off from God, I want to pray today there might be a, an opening up of that. I pray that even now as you're standing before the Lord, that he might, he might just drop things into your mind. You say, do you know what, it's that. You've, you've cut off that area to me. I just feel like God wanted you to say to him, I lay it down at your feet, my king and my friend. And just for those of you who are here, and you know, as you listen to this understanding of your adoption as sons and daughters, you, you get it theologically, you understand it in your mind, but it's never penetrated 
to the reality of how you walk out Christian faith, I want to pray that today it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We were praying in the prayer meeting earlier. Therefore, if you know this morning there is a, there's an, there's a slave or an orphan mentality, I want to speak the freedom of God upon you today. We renounce the lie of the enemy that you have to earn your way to God. Totally it's undeserved. Totally the grace of God has done it all. And we just get to respond into that. And I want to pray where the enemy has got in, in thought patterns or in ways of working or whatever it is that mean you're kind of saying, I'm doing this to get the value of God or to get, earn his favor upon me. I want to pray that lie would be, we renounce that lie over your life, if that's true of you this morning. And we say we replace it with the freedom that God brings that you are a son in his household, that you are a daughter in his household. We ask the freedom of God upon you this morning. Where there's been a misunderstanding, where the enemies had a field day, we want to pray that today we place a guard over your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. We place a guard upon you and we say, be still and know that he is God and that he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Lord, I just pray for these brothers and sisters here. I want to thank you for their hunger for you, for their love for you. I want to pray that this this word that Rodney brought about fruitfulness and substance and health would so be spoken of this group of people. But it starts with us individually, Lord. I pray would you arrest us each individually, moment by moment, day by day. Would we wake up and say, hey, Jesus, today I'm yours. Tomorrow, hey, Jesus, I'm yours. There'll be a daily sacrificing and a daily surrendering that will bring life and joy. I speak a word of joy upon you, Apex. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. I just invite you, Lord God. Have your way amongst this people, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Over to you, Mark. Wonderful.